I really appreciate when we start looking at passages uh, in Sunday school, and obviously nothing's planned intentionally, but the sum of the points that were being brought up with the pride that we were seeing in Haman, with God's providence, how he's working in different situations, so much of it was dovetailing with exactly what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I love it when we see that happen. That's an exciting thing. There's my shameless plug to get you to come to Sunday school. So that's, I, I love to see how God works in, in just the way that his word gets shared. Um, had some who have talked about uh, with with the verse by verse it's exciting to me how God orchestrates his word he orchestrates how you know what we cover and he knows he's in charge and I it's exciting for me to be able to see how the passages just tie in with issues that are going on within our body it's exciting to watch have you ever been in a position this has happened to me a number of times where you're trying to share the gospel with someone and you get accused or you get asked, you know, um, by somebody, either by that person or by somebody else looking in on the situation. Uh, and they'll say, you shouldn't be trying to, to change people. You shouldn't be trying to convert people. Let people make up their own minds. Let them, you know, let God work in them. This one's been thrown at me. Don't be brainwashing people. So I guess my question for you is, and maybe you've thrown that question around, are we, are we wrong to want to see people change from a direction they're going and become, I'm going to use these words, like us, to become Christians? Are we wrong? Well, listen, if we're wrong, you are terribly failing in your responsibility to evangelize. We are expected to try to help people see their need to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That is supposed to be our goal. That's what we're supposed to do as we evangelize. If that's not the goal, we need to hang it up and go find something else that we can really get behind and want to see people enjoy and see people embrace. That is our goal. And if that's not what we're trying to do, and I used this term yesterday, then we're kind of guilty of doing a bait and switch. And I don't want to do a bait and switch. I talked to somebody yesterday, and it's just a friend that I've got, and I've been, you, know, you just keep plugging, you keep plugging. They're not interested, but you keep plugging. And I told them, because they live right down the street from Mike, and I had said, you know, we're having a breakfast this coming Saturday, love to have you be able to show up. These are a great time. And, and, and then I said, I'm going to tell you now, we have a good breakfast, and then we have a Bible study. We look into the Word of God. And, he, and I said, I don't want you to be surprised. He said, Bible study's good. Bible study's good. But I, what I don't want to do is bait and switch. I don't want them to feel like, yeah, I just set you up so I could come and get you under the preaching. I'm going to tell them. This is why I push so hard for you and I to do Bible studies with people. To do our job outside of this church so people are coming to Christ and then coming to the church. That's, how, that, that's all I see in the New Testament is people were converted and added to the church. That's what we need to do. That's our job. Point being, their need, the need of people is salvation. They need Jesus. 
And we cannot sugarcoat that. We cannot sidestep that. That is the need of people today. Now the day, the passage we're going to start that, that Charlie read for us, this passage is the last time that we see Paul before a Roman authority defending himself. This is the last time we get to see it. And this one is kind of interesting because this isn't so much of a defense uh, of the gospel as much as it is an opportunity for Paul to go proactive and share the gospel. Paul was taking advantage of this opportunity that he has. And Paul is not hiding whatsoever. As we go through the, the, part, the portion that was read in chapter 26, it's all one big unit. As we go through this, we're going to see that Paul is not hiding his desire. He wants people to be saved. He is going to state it very clearly. He's not sugarcoating anything. He wants conversions. So what we're going to see here, and this is this is this could be a, a, just a side thing in itself. We're going to see a really good example that we need to follow. And this example is this: Paul was in a rough spot. Paul is in a condition in his life where he does not want to be. The man has been in prison for two years. The man has got people wanting him dead. The guy now is being brought before, and we're going to see this, this, this ungodly group of people and attacked very viciously. He's in a position he doesn't like. And I look around this room. There's a lot of you who are in positions you don't like. There's a lot of people who are going through tough times who aren't here with us today. You and I need to be looking to God and saying, Lord, what is the opportunity you're going to give me through this trial? How can I glorify you through this trial? Now, I don't know about you, but too often my prayer is, God, get me out of this trial. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be praying for deliverance. We should want to be delivered. We should want... Some relief from sin coming down on us. But you and I need to use these rough situations that we're in to somehow try to glorify our God. I am so thankful that our God is sufficient. He is all-powerful. He, he can use, as we saw in Sunday school again, He uses sin in people's lives to somehow accomplish His work. I don't get it. But our God is an all-powerful God. You and I need to be praying, God, you've got me in this thing. Help me to open my eyes. Help me to see opportunities to be able to witness for you. This is exactly what Paul did in this passage we're going to look at. So in this text, we're going to see Paul. When I say this text, I'm talking about the whole gambit, the, all the way through the end of the next chapter. We're going to see Paul being abused. We're going to see Paul being hated. We're going to see Paul being lied about. And I, when, when I go through these things, when I have this, th th these attacks made, it can be really easy to be ashamed of the gospel. It can be easy to want to back off and just let the pressure quit for a little while. It can be easy to be reluctant to speak, to be embarrassed. You use the phrase you want. It's easy to want to back off when people don't like you. 
But I appreciate Paul in this passage. He is going to be faithful to continually give the gospel. And I'll tell you what we're not going to see. You're not going to see a conversion that we know of. Nobody gets saved. You know what? That, that's not Paul's job. It's not your job. It's not my job to save people. Our job is to be faithful, give the word of God, and let the Holy Spirit convert people. The last thing we need is a convert of Rick. We need a convert of Jesus. We need him doing the work in people's lives and drawing people to himself. And that is what Paul is doing. Paul is going to be faithful and he is going to give the gospel even though people think he's foolish. And they do. They think he's a madman. Even though they think he's foolish, it's interesting at the end, and this is going to be several weeks down the road, so keep that hand out, by the way. They end up showing this man respect. They respect what he stands for, even though they don't agree with him. It's a good motivation for us. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look into this text. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you are a, an all-sufficient God. I thank you for loving us, for taking an interest in us. Lord, I don't understand that, but I thank you that, that you do work and that you are working. Lord, help us to, to be faithful to you. I ask for this morning as we, we take these, this, these brief minutes and look into your word, Lord, please help us to understand it. I pray more that you would apply it in our lives, that you would minister to each one in this room through your word. Father, I, I ask for your help as I preach. Please help my words to be accurate. Help me not to be a distraction to the message you desire to have given. And most important, again, Lord, please, in some way, use our efforts here to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. First point on your handout, I'm assuming if you wanted one, you've got one. Does anyone need a handout, by the way? If you do, we can get one down to you real quick. If not, we're good to run. Okay. The case revealed by Festus. Now, this whole section that we're going to look at today pretty much is a review. This is what we looked at last week, and so we had it last week, and now we're going to have somebody say, well, here's what happened last week. So we're going to go through this a little bit quicker than normal. We're going to cover it, but... Um, I, I trust that, that God will use it. And I was <laughs> reminded yesterday, you know what, if God repeated it, he, he had his reasons. So we're going to look at it again, and it's good. So verse number 13, let's look at this together. After certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. I'm going to tell you some things today that it's not comfortable. I don't like talking about some of this because it's really gross. But we're going to learn just a little bit of history of what Paul is about to go up against, of about what Paul is going to be doing. So we have in, in, in that verse Agrippa and Bernice. Now, I'll tell you what I used to think. Way back where I studied this passage, I thought it was you know Agrippa and his wife Bernice, king and queen. That's not what was happening here. Okay, this is, this is a disgusting portion of Scripture to know about, but... They're coming for a visit, and they want to see this new guy, Festus. Now, it sounds like, if you just take a quick reading at this, the king, Agrippa, is coming to see the governor, Festus. 
So you got king, you got governor. That's not what you've got. You've got governor and you've got king. Agrippa is nothing but a figurehead. Rome has said, okay, Agrippa, we know you've got this specialization. We know you understand Jews. We're going to let you have this title of king, but you're under us. So Festus really is this guy's boss. And he's coming to say, welcome to the area. I'm here for you, blah, blah, blah. And you've got this guy, Agrippa, who is really, he, he is a messed up person. The guy is messy. Okay, here, here's what's going on. Agrippa is the last in the Herodian line. We know the name Herod. And he is the last one recorded, we know of, I would say, that's in this line. Now his father, let's just start going back a little bit. This is Agrippa II. Agrippa I is the man who took the praise of people in this same town. He took their praise and did not give honor to God, and God ate him up with worms, and he died. This happened as Agrippa II was probably like late teenage years. He would have experienced his father being killed in this way. His dad is the one who killed James, who imprisoned Peter and was going to kill him, and Peter got sprung loose. That's his father. This is the group and what they do. His uncle was Antipas. If you remember, Herod Antipas is the one who got fussed at, if you will, by John the Baptist. He said, you should not have your brother's wife. And it gets a little bit deeper than that. But he said, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. And John ended up losing his head. There were some issues. This is the family. You, his great-grandfather, if I've got my numbers right, was Herod the Great. This, he, his great-grandfather is the one who wanted to kill Jesus and killed all the babies. His Aunt, I believe, was Herodias. This is the one who was married to her uncle, left that uncle and went to another uncle where John the Baptist says you shouldn't be having the, the, your, your relative and his wife and all this mess. This is a messed up family. And it doesn't get any better. Now you've got Agrippa and Bernice. Okay, Bernice. Bernice married one of her uncles. Now, her uncle, so her dad's brother, that's the guy that she married. He was a king of this little bitty area, and she married him. Well, he died. Rome made her brother, that we see here, Agrippa II, king in his stead. Well, rather than leaving, she just stayed and moved in with her brother, and their relationship started. They've been having an incestuous relationship and it really, it caused a lot of scandal. She later on, to clear up some of the scandal, married another king, left him, went back to her brother. And she stayed with her brother. When she moved back to her brother that time, they went to Rome and she became a, a mistress for one of the, the emperors. I forgot his name, started with a V. But she stayed with him. And then she was a mistress with his son. And all the while, she would keep going back to her brother. This, this family is totally messed up. If you want dysfunctional, this is it. Here's what I appreciate. you got a murderous family, totally in sin, and it is gross immorality. It is disgusting sin. And I like that Paul goes in and he shows kindness. He shows respect for the position that they're in. He understands they need the gospel. He's going to come in here and, and he's being kind to them. 
For what this is worth, and this again, side issue, we have no business coming down on people who are unsaved because of their sin. What do you expect sinners to do? Sinners sin. And Paul here gives us a good example, and he comes, he, he is kind. He's winsome. He just wants to give them the gospel. So, first thing we see here, the review of the Jewish complaint. Review of the Jewish complaint. Uh, verse number 14 is where we'll be starting. Again, it's review. This is gonna, we're gonna, a lot of background, and a lot of this is gonna be background for next week's message. So just stay with me. Uh, verse 14, when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, there's a certain man left in bonds by Felix. So he had been there many days. They haven't even brought Paul up. Paul is an afterthought. Paul is not something that he really cares about. He's not really concerned because all this guy is, and I'm saying this literally, he's an unimportant little Jew. They don't care about him. This is just some some baggage that left in bonds, baggage that Felix left him to take care of. Verse 15. About whom? Paul. When I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews, they informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. They wanted him put to death. That's the judgment against him. They came to me and said, kill Paul. That's what we want. Verse 16, to whom I answered, it's not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before, that he which is accused had the accusers meet with him face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crimes laid against him. So he wasn't pleased with the Jewish leaders. This is a good thing. He wasn't going to let them have their way. So he says in this verse, I told them, we Romans, we don't run things like that. That is not how we do business. Now, Festus, he, is, he has a, um, what's the word, a reputation. History records him as being a good ruler. He did some really good things. We're going to see some areas he did really bad today, but overall, this guy did a good job. But even though he's pagan, even though this guy is an unsaved man, he seems to have done okay. Now, it makes sense that he would bring this matter up to Felix. Felix was known for being an expert in Jewish matters. He, has, he was the one, as the king, he was given the responsibility to appoint the high priest. Remember, Rome did that. They gave that authority to, to Agrippa. He appointed the high priest when it needed to be done. He was the one in charge of the temple treasury. He was the one who had the, 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 the oversight of the Jews in these areas. He was a Hellenistic Jew, so he knew the customs. He should be able, in Festus's mind, to shed some more light on this stuff for Festus. That's what's going on in these first few verses. Second thing, the charges rehearsed. Charges rehearsed. He says, therefore, okay, because since this scoundrel was so deserving of death, because they wanted him dead, when they were come here without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth. I was ready to move quick. I'm ready to do business. I'm going to put this guy where he deserves to be put. And I commanded the man to come. That, that, when they use the word the man, that's a, a derogatory term. The unimportant little Jew. 
I commanded this guy to come before me. So it's not impressive. I read a guy, named, a man named Stott wrote these words. According to tradition, Paul was only a little fellow, unprepossessing in appearance, balding with beetle brows, hooked nose, and bandy legs, yet full of grace. Paul was nothing to look at. Paul was an unimportant little thing that, and you would think, yeah, hook nose. After they beat him so much, that guy should be disfigured. He was nothing good to look at. And that's what was happening. I commanded him to be brought forward. Verse 18, against whom when the accuser stood up, they brought an accusation as such as I supposed. I was surprised by the charges they were bringing. These guys had very lame accusations. Normally, if somebody comes before me and they say, he is deserving of death, there's going to be sedition, there's going to be murder, there's going to be robbery, there's going to be some big charge that they're going to bring. And he's saying, this, this didn't happen. It's not normal for somebody to come before me to be tried, to be put to death, because their religious views differ with somebody else's. And that is exactly what these charges were. Let me just say this, because this, this has happened uh, that I've seen. It seems like a lot of times things that Christians decide to fight about, people who are unsaved, people in the world can see the, how petty the arguments are, and they walk away scratching their heads saying, what is wrong with you people? Why are you fighting over something so insignificant as this? That's exactly what's happening. Festus could see through the, just the hypocrisy. He could see the, the issues being so petty. Let's be careful with this. Be careful what we allow ourselves to want to fight about. Verse 19, But he had, he had certain questions against him of their own, certain, of their own superstitions. He didn't want to say religion. And of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So in Festus's mind... All their religion is, is just superstition. And that's what their argument about is about. And when he says, Paul affirmed to be alive, tense of that word, Paul just kept talking about this. He just kept saying, this Jesus is alive. This Jesus is resurrected. He kept bringing this thing up. I like this. I like that we've got a man, an example here, the Apostle Paul. He did not pull back. He is in prison. This guy has the ability to set him free. And Paul is not pulling back from proclaiming a suffering, resurrected Messiah. You ever been in a position where people didn't like what you had to say? And the tendency was just, okay, I'll just back off. I'm not going to be you know, giving the, the, this truth. I'm not going to put myself out. I don't want to stick my neck out so you can chop it off. We need to make ourselves vulnerable. We need to give the truth. And here we see Festus very clearly. He's saying there, there was no arguments here. There was nothing that this guy was doing that was, that was guilty of death. Festus is admitting here Paul is innocent. So what should he have done? Paul should have been free. Paul should have been out of there. Here's the problem. It wasn't politically expedient. So he didn't let him go. This case, because it's a disagreement in religion, it should not have been in a Roman court. Festus didn't understand it. Festus didn't get it. 
It should not have gone before a Roman court. It should not have gone before the unsaved. And I'm just going to liken that to, to, to Christianity. This was not Christian against Christian. This was the Jewish leaders against Christians. But it's kind of like us having debate over whatever it may be and going to unsaved friends, unsaved family members, and complaining about disagreements we're having with other believers. It's none of their business. They don't get it. We need to be careful how we pull other people in. It's this whole argument that they're having, it's totally foolishness to Festus. And I use that word specific. It is foolishness to him. And it is. It really is foolishness. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that know not God. So it was foolishness to him, and he didn't get it. You ever had people think you're foolish? For the gospel's sake? I can look back and think of words I've heard. <laughs> I remember one saying to me, you do what you're, and, and the, the, the tone was there, you do what your little book says is good, and I'll do what my experience says is fun. In other words, you're an idiot. How can you follow that book? I've had others who have said things, I remember one guy said to me, and I don't know how it came up. We were talking about the virgin birth. And he said, you ever seen a virgin have a baby nowadays? No. Then it can't be true. You're crazy for believing this. I had another one recently. You really believe? And, and these were kind of the words. God put every animal in the universe, exaggeration, onto a little boat. And I tried to explain a little bit before I said yes. I explained no, it wasn't every animal in the universe and it wasn't a little boat. But I said, yeah, I believe it. And these are the words I heard. You're an embarrassment to me. I'm ashamed. You know what? It was foolishness. And people, listen, we can expect to hear this kind of thing. What did Jesus say? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And that, that, that has some implications with it. That means if you're following Jesus, they're going to hate you. If you're living a worldly lifestyle, they're going to think you're the best thing in the world. They're going to love you. But when you are a follower of Jesus, if they hated him, they're going to hate you. We should expect this with the unsaved. But with Christians? Should we really be expecting this with Christians? I'm just going to say again, for us, let's make sure our disagreements are over biblical issues. Our disagreements normally within churches are over preferences. It's over our little opinions and our traditions. Let's make sure if we're going to disagree, it's something that the Scripture says. And let's be careful with that. Third thing, the confusion related. Now I use this title for this point, but kind of only partially accurate, and I think you'll see where I'm heading with this. Festus was known, again, he was a good ruler, but he's a politician. I don't know about you, but if somebody looks at me and says, you're just a politician, I'm insulted. I really don't like that title. And I, don't, I think this is one of those transcending time words. It was a nasty thing then. It's a nasty thing now. If you're a politician... You are usually dishonest. Something is going on, and okay, 
Are there exceptions? Yes. They've got a reputation and they deserve their reputation. They bend their words. They speak, pet peeve, half-truths. I despise with a passion half-truths. They drive me batty. Don't do that to me. Okay. Technically, they're right, but they're wrong. And they can come away from, I've had people say these, well, I'm te- I didn't technically tell a lie. Well, then you didn't technically tell the truth. You, you've got to be one way or the other. And politicians don't do this. Let's not be guilty of that thing, okay? This is, again, side issue. Let's not be guilty. We can be dishonest sometimes with our silence. As if people leave a conversation with you or with me and they walk away believing something that isn't accurate, we have not communicated truth. We need to make sure that what we're communicating is accurate. And if you don't, listen, dishonesty is happening. You're not a person of integrity. You're lying. Even if you're technically telling the truth. We need to be careful that we, uh, I like the word accurate. That's what's happening here. He's not going to be accurate. So, verse number 20. Because I doubted of such manner of questions. Okay, I wasn't sure I understood all of this. I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. Because I was at a loss, because I'm clueless on how to handle this, I said, let's go to Jerusalem. If you look back up into verse 9, he offered to go to Jerusalem because he wanted to pacify the Jews. He wanted to make all the Jewish leaders happy with him. So is he technically right? Yeah, he's technically right, but he's lying. He didn't understand Judaism. He didn't understand Christianity. He's right with that, but that's not the full reason he said go to Jerusalem. He wanted to pacify the Jewish leaders. You've heard it said you don't have to teach kids how to sin, right? I don't remember anybody teaching me how to tell half-truths to get myself out of trouble with my parents. I learned that so fast. And I got really good at it. We know how to be deceitful. And like it or not, you don't lose it when you get to be an adult. We know really well how to tell just enough to keep ourselves clean and yet still take a dig and make the damage done where we want to make it done. And that is exactly what's happened. This should convict us when this happens. We should be convicted when we're guilty. Now, Paul knew going to Jerusalem was a death sentence. He knew it, and he didn't want to do it. So, verse 21, when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. He leaves out a little, a little detail. I found him not guilty. There was nothing he did wrong. So I shouldn't have had him go to Jerusalem. He leaves that part out. He wasn't guilty of anything. He just wanted to go to Augustus. This is all Paul's fault. Oh, Augustus, that's a title, by the way. It means like honorable one. The title would be Augustus Caesar Nero. So it would be like the honorable President Nero. Those are the titles that he's throwing around. So this, this Augustus, honorable one, He's, what he's doing is saying Paul wanted to go to him, so he's passing the blame on Paul. And I might have let him go if he just hadn't appealed. It's all Paul's fault. Verse 22, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you're going to hear him. So the wording, I've been hearing about this guy. I want to hear what he's saying too. 
So Festus agrees to it. So we've seen, we've had one person so far, in our, as we've been going through this, willing to hear Paul because he wanted bribes. He, he, the guy was just personal gain, that's Felix. Festus. He's doing what he had to do to keep the peace. Now you've got Agrippa. Agrippa is just curious. Really no desires. Want to hear, wants, just wants to hear the guy, what he's doing. Here's what I appreciate about Paul. It didn't matter what the reasons were. It didn't matter if they were sinful. It didn't matter if there's really an interest. Paul is willing to give the gospel. He's looking for these opportunities to give the gospel to people. And as we looked at earlier at the Sunday school lesson, God uses sinful things. He used even this, just this curiosity to have one of the best defenses of the gospel recorded for us on these pages. And he does a great job of it. I appreciate that Paul is looking for those opportunities. Your application statement. We shouldn't expect to be received well by the world or by the worldly. But we must commit to being faithful to keep proclaiming the gospel. That is our calling. That is our marching orders. It's not negotiable. Your second point. The case received by Agrippa. Okay, so... Now Agrippa is going to get this thing. And for the rest of this chapter, then for all of 26, Paul is going to make his defense and he's going to, and we're going to see just the, all the events surrounding it. And in some ways, again, it's not a defense. He goes on the offense. See, Paul can't go on trial right now. Paul is out of um, Festus's jurisdiction. He's now under Caesar's jurisdiction. They can't put him back on trial. So Paul gets this, here's the, the key word I'm trying to throw at you, he gets this opportunity. You can present your case before Agrippa, and he has an opportunity again to share the gospel. So right now what's going on is Festus is in a jam. Festus needs some help. He has no idea how to, how to take care of this matter of having a charge against him. So he needs this to happen for, Paul, for his sake. And so he gets Paul. Now, this, what we're going to see here today is the preliminaries again from Festus. And the next week, we'll get into Paul's talk. So first thing here, last thing for us, the need for reason. Need for a reason. Verse number 23. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come and Bernice with great pomp and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains, the principal men of the city, at Festus' Festus's commandment, Paul was brought forth. I appreciate that the Holy Spirit chose to throw in this little bit of background. And notice, notice that there's a contrast going on here. You've got Agrippa and Bernice. And anytime you see Agrippa, there's Anne Bernice. Follow it along. She's just always tagging along with this guy. She loves the limelight. And remember, she's not the queen. She is his sister. She is his mistress. This lady is just along for the ride. She loves the fanfare. She wants, it's kind of like, again, we looked at the, wanting this, this pomp, wanting this, all of the, the display of greatness. It's very prideful. It says that they came, they had the chief captains, that would be your generals, that was people, there was five of them over, over groups of a thousand soldiers. They had five in that area. The bigwigs, the generals, they came. You had your principal men, that's your dignitaries. All the who's who of Caesarea. All of these people came. So you've got this, in my mind, intimidating show of people coming to get together. Why? Think about this. All these, these bigwigs to hear 
the guy with the bald head, the crooked nose, on why he got arrested for having a weird religion. Do you see the pride and the arrogance of these people? Any excuse they can have to say, we look good. This is not an occasion for a party, and this is exactly what they're doing. They're just prideful people. This reminds me, if you go, don't turn there. 1 Samuel 16, remember when God sent Samuel to pick a king? And he did. He said, oh, surely this is the guy. He looks so good. No, 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 no. That's not the one. See, people don't see how God sees. God doesn't look on the external. God looks on the heart. God is, God sees, God is not impressed with, with all the pomp, with all the riches, with everything that people have to offer. He is impressed, in this case, with Paul's faithfulness. That impressed God. The fact that Paul was a faithful man. He is impressed with Paul. He loves Paul. So what we see here is just their pride. And really, if you think about this, this is a problem too because this is the same town. It says here that they met at the place of hearing, very likely the same place that Agrippa's father was eaten with worms because of his pride. Agrippa didn't learn too well. Now he's experiencing and demonstrating this same pride that his father was eaten of worms for. So what you have here is just this bunch of of people pleasers taking any opportunity they can get their hands on to impress others and to look good. Some of them just want to get in good with other people so they can be deemed important. Listen, we constantly make a decision, every one of us in here. Who are you going to please? Is it about pleasing you and making you look good, or is it about pleasing God and glorifying our Lord? We can learn some lessons from this. Here's several. We are wrong when we try to build ourselves up and we try to look good and impress other people or get in good with them. We are wrong. We can't be doing this. Another thing, what impresses the world is a whole lot different from what impresses God. If the world is impressed with you because of your riches or your status or whatever it may be, it doesn't mean God is. You've heard this verse so many times, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. We need to strive to live a life that is pleasing to our Lord. That has got to be our priority. If that's not your priority, listen, you're wrong. You are wrong. That must be our priority to please our God. Another thing we see, God can use people's sin to do His work. And here He's using their sin. He's using their sinful pride to bring this crowd together to hear the Gospel of Jesus. And we need to be constantly looking for, praying for, God, help me to see the opportunities You're bringing along my way to witness for You. I'll tell you what, if we're praying for that and we're sincerely looking, we're going to, be, we're going to, we're going to see these opportunities. And jump on them. Watch what God can do through us. It's exciting. Verse 24. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men which are present with us, you see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. 
But when I found that he committed nothing worthy of death, again, this guy is innocent, and that he himself has appealed to Augustus, I've determined to send him. So again, we've got some political manipulation. The truth is mixed in. You see, this man, if all the Jews are against him, that's not true. Mostly it's the Sadducees of the Sanhedrin who want him dead. It's not all the Jews. Now, there's probably a bunch of them, but he's exaggerating. You ever do that? You want to prove a point? And so you, you just kind of push the envelope a little bit? Oh, everybody thinks this. No, they don't. There's a lot of people who are thinking you're messing up. Really? Name them. Well, there's actually two. We exaggerate. You know what that is? It's lying. It's just us pushing it, pushing our envelope. That's exactly what these people are doing. And, and he's right that the leaders want him dead. I get that. But Festus, again, this clear announcement, he is innocent, he's not worthy of death, therefore he should have been released. He's wanting to appease the Jewish leaders. He wants to send him to Jerusalem, but that's where he'd be killed. So Paul, he's forced to appeal to the honorable one, Augustus. The point that I'm trying to get with this one, Festus is not being honest. Let's just be careful that we don't try to paint ourselves into a picture of looking better than we really are. Of having a position, or pushing our position so it's more received. This is another place where Paul should have been clearly let go because he's declared innocent. Verse 26. Of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, that be Caesar. Wherefore I have brought him before you, speaking to all these people, especially before you, King Agrippa, that after examination I might have something to write. For it seemed to me unreasonable, illogical, to send a prisoner and not have withal to signify the crimes laid against him. He admits, I have no clue what I'm supposed to do with this guy. I have nothing certain, nothing firm, definite to write. So he wants all these people to help him find a charge, especially Agrippa, to help him find a charge to put on, Paul, on a letter about Paul so they can send it to Nero. And when he says it's illogical, unreasonable, that's very true, but it's also dangerous. Nero had not got to the point yet where he was doing his wacko things, killing all the Christians. He was kind of normal at this point, but you still don't waste the time of the emperor by sending him some unfounded charges. That's what's happening here. Your application statement here, let's quit trying to advance self and focus on living a life that is pleasing to our Lord. That's the only place our true contentment will come from. In Mark 8, it's a passage that you know, we've referred to numerous times. This is the passage where he says, To whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life is going to lose his life, whoever is going to lose his life is going to save his life. We spend so much time, so much energy trying to advance us. Trying to advance our lives in this world. Trying to look good in the world's eyes instead of focusing on living to advance Jesus' kingdom. That's the only reason we're here. is to advance Jesus' kingdom. It's not the American dream. It's not to build us up. It is to advance Jesus' kingdom. 
For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We know that that verse, but how often do we practice this? For the Christian, this life is supposed to be all about Jesus. This life is supposed to be all about bringing Him glory in everything that we do, say, think. Let's beg Him today. I encourage you, beg Him to help us be more serious-minded. Help us to see Him and want to glorify Him. I fear that when we should be emulating, in this case, the Apostle Paul, we end up being more like Festus. We end up being more like the world around us and wanting to live for us and promote us. We need to daily, maybe minute by minute, die to self. Put self on the altar and die and intentionally follow Jesus. That's what we need today. Let's stand for a moment. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, you are in the same boat right now as Festus and Agrippa and all this crowd that was standing before Paul. There's nothing else to live for but self and the punishment that goes with it. When we don't know Jesus, it's hopeless. But Jesus desires to rescue us out of that bondage. He desires to free us. So much so that he gave his, the, the, he gave his life for us. So we could make peace with God. If you're not sure if you've ever done that, if you don't understand this, would you please talk to us? We'd love to help you. That's the most important thing you can do. And Christian... You and I, let's be actively asking God to help us see the opportunities that He is regularly opening up for us. They are there. He desires this. He wants us to serve Him. And then let's commit to pleasing our Lord by taking advantage of those opportunities. That's His will for you today. He wants this. You do business with God as Bethany Place. Thank you.